we were in the middle of talking about the type of contemplations that lead one to a moon and a Kaddish Baruch Hu, and it's important to retain that as the superstructure. The um, one we had spoken about last time was existence on a basic level, matter, <coughs> and the basic laws of uh, science that are immutable and are locked into every bit of creation. That is the first contemplation. The second one is going to be something that will lead us into another topic, but important to keep in mind the basic structure and not to wander off on a lot of side points. The second topic is going to be the complexity of the world above the basic level. In other words, where do rocks come from and water and the laws of gravity and the laws of energy and physics and so on was the first one, the Yesh Me'ayin. And now when we take a look at, um, l- at all the complex things in the world, specifically the things that are living, plants, animals, human beings, as we studied it and as we gain more and more knowledge of the extraordinary complexity of a person, we are overwhelmed with the sense of somebody having designed it and somebody having made it. Um, Nobody would think that a simple watch came into being by itself. Um, It's certainly not something as a human being which is really infinitely more complex. That has been one of the standard Hizboninus Psukim in Chazal, Avramovina looking around the world and saying there has to be somebody behind it, common sense and uh, throughout religious philosophy. This has been really the mainstay that a person looking around and seeing the extraordinary, extraordinary complexity of man is the most closest at home and most complex cannot but say that there has to be someone that created it. Um, it's a very, very powerful um, point. It's probably the most powerful point. It's something that we can brush aside by just saying it one sentence. Well, man is very complex. But if a person were to study biology and look at every single bit and piece and how they have to tick and how they are coordinated and so on, we would have to come to that conclusion. That line of his bonus of thinking was universal until a few hundred years ago. When people started, uh, even though Darwin was the famous one, but like all great ideas, there was already some precursors where he started, um, where he started thinking, maybe there's an alternate explanation. And if the alternate explanation works, then we no longer have this compelling argument for Bore Olam. Um, that, is his, that was the general uh, theory and idea behind evolution. Now, as we said before in last year, the theory of evolution and the facts that have come up uh, with the theory um, pose two issues. One is it seeks to um, stop this is boniness of um, saying there must be creator, if we find a reasonable alternate, um, alternate explanation, then we no longer have this compelling, compelling argument about um, Akadosh Baruch Hu. There was a second issue, 
that even if we're to accept HaKadosh Baruch Hu, but a lot of the what the Torah seems to say <coughs> seems to be contradicted by what we find around us in reality. Um, and that became a very, very, and that became a testing ground for religion. We will not be addressing that second issue. That second issue has its own framework. We need to address it at a later point when we speak about Torah and the emphasis of Torah and so on. The first point is the one we're going to be trying to address in these um, <coughs> in, in this year, maybe the next year. Um, if we find a viable explanation, then we are going to have a credible alternative. The uh, now the the, the um, we're talking. We will. We're talking about three things that overwhelm us in their complexity. One is living organisms. Inanimate organisms are complex. Only they're not really complex. A rock is piled on dirt and earth and so on. The word complex doesn't really apply to it. It's just a mix of a lot of stuff. Um, but from from non-living to living. How is something living? That was one area. The second area is from the simplest form of what we would call living, which we need to explain in a minute, how do we get to very complex organisms? And the third issue is how do we get man, if we're to define man in ways that are unique so that there's no compatibility between anything else and man. So in our Hisbonus, towards Emuna, we have three phases. Where does light come from? How does something inanimate become animate? How does something that will, whatever we'll define as the minimal stage of animate, develop into such incredible complexity? And how do you get man, which will need to define how is he different? So, um, Darwin was the one that's famous for it, and we'll go, and I guess we'll, I'll try to give an overview to the best of my understanding of the, the different um, facts that lead one to believe that there's an alternative explanation. Uh, if we look around, um, if, we, if we start digging around, we start finding remnants of animals that don't, that do no longer exist. Animals it's sort of bacteria or plant life that are assumed to not exist anymore. Um, how old are they? When were they? So there are two basic ways of dating it. One is um, by um, radioactive dating, uh, carbon-14, which means as follows. Most living things ingest a certain amount of a tiny drop of radioactive material, um, as the person dies, it, it, and as is the nature of all radioactive material, it begins to wind down. It, it has half-life, and it begins to lose its radioactivity. And over a given amount of time, um, using a quite simple formula, it, the radioactive material will be converted to non-radioactive material. Um, this is dating that works well for a huge amount of time. It doesn't work well for a thousand years this way, a thousand years that way, but it does work well. So as we begin to date different things, we find formerly living entities, we begin to notice a, um, 
a type of, uh, of, of, of a, a big gap in time between the things that have died recently and the things that we think are the earliest. And if we're to use this radioactive dating, it would come out to hundreds of millions of years difference. So the first thing is we now have things that lived a hundred of, hundreds of millions of years ago um, as per the dating. That is step one. We also have a second way of dating it, and that is the world, if we start digging the wor around us, we find that the Earth is layers and layers, different <coughs> places, different layers, and so on. A lot of those layers are um, akin to the type of layers that happen when rivers dry up, when rivers deposit Earth. We see that all the time. Those are, that's a process that we still see. We can see um, water depositing Earth. It then recedes. It dries up. And it forms a distinct layer, a distinct material, a distinct uh, height, and so on. If we dig down, we can um, look at different layers and get a sense, possibly, of how long ago those layers were. So we will find that in certain layers that we assumed, if there are six layers of material and each material takes X amount of time to happen, then it must have been a long time ago. We also find all sorts of weird sea life uh, on top of mountains and different places where obviously there have been huge geological changes. Um, there's no way um, a, a, an oyster could have happened to climb onto the Alps unless they had been covered by water once upon a time um, and uh, life was, you know, all sorts of REMS life was deposited all around. So we have the radioactive dating, we have the different layers of the Earth, and we can therefore give some sort of time frame for it. Now, we notice that the earlier life forms seem to be a lot more primitive than the life forms we have. They don't exist anymore. And they vaguely resemble things that we have. So um, we, can, we can make a reasonable assumption that as time went on, life went from the more simple to the more complex. Now, um, the issue is, but how did that happen? Um, we didn't have any mechanism that we can uh, measure it with, so how in the world could that have happened? So Darwin supplied the missing piece of, of theory, and he said as follows. He observed, I this was even before they really had a good sense of, the ge of, of genes and how they worked, that um, there, there is a natural process where animals that are more suited for survival will survive. If you have 10 dogs, the, the strongest dog, the quickest dog, the dog that needs the least amount of food, the dog that can, can live on the most types of food, whatever it is, any trait that will allow it to survive will um, keep emphasizing a particular type of strain. So a stronger lion will it, the lions will keep getting stronger because the weaker lions died, were killed out, couldn't find enough prey, were attacked by the stronger lions, etc. And therefore, over time, s character traits that made things more capable of um, a more capable survival survive. So now we have an explanation how it happened. 
um, we have the character traits that are better. So, so every species keeps changing, and therefore, if, for instance, having a sense of hearing gives you a big advantage, so whichever, um, <coughs> whichever type had something akin to a sense of hearing, that would survive, etc., etc., etc. So that was a general theory. Um, he, he pointed out different things in an island that he studied things which seemed to indicate that you see that the same species, the same type of bird, depending on where it was located, or say type of snake, the bird, would have characteristics that makes it suitable for there. The type of coloration, the type of, 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 of subtle changes. So here we have observed in front of us a, a, um, something which brings out um, it, it, it will naturally um, it will naturally favor the survival of the things with more favorable traits and as millions of years goes by you keep getting those animals that have better traits different traits and so on will keep moving forward that was his general theory as we became aware of genes and uh, the mechanism of genetic heredity, we added to this, to this picture and we said there are basically, there's another way how, to, how this happens. First of all, um, genes, um, every person contains many genes, some recessive, some dominant, and everyone has the capability of having children of different types, and therefore um, the, the child with the characteristics most suited for survival will um, survive. Secondly, there are random mutations where genes um, are broken and they produce something that was not expected, something that should not have been there. Um, and therefore, you'll get occasionally something with an unusual trait and, and that's a big, instead of, let's say, for instance, having a dog that has um, different colors, well, you might get a dog that has no color or something like that, and if that would be uniquely suited, those type of, that broken gene will become kind of the permanent gene. So this sort of fleshed out the theory. The proofs, in other words, the arguments that the, that this is a very, convi that this is correct, that it was a slow process 